Well, please allow me to add my welcome to each of you today who are joining us here face to face and those who continue to join us from home. Uh, we're just delighted that uh, you're here and we're delighted that we're gathered together again as the people of God here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. And I want to do something right from the beginning here this morning. Uh, I know you want, as I want, to express tremendous appreciation to this church staff that has been so faithful through these weeks when we've had to be uh, more removed from one another, continue the day-in and day-out ministry to make sure that the live streams were going out on Facebook Live and on our website. And let me tell you also, between this service and the early service this morning, there was an army of folks in here between these services, wiping down pews, cleaning restrooms, uh, doing everything to make sure that everything was safe and sanitary in here, and we'll be doing the same thing when you exit today. We've got so many folks who have done so much over these past couple of months. Don't you want to just say thank you to them this morning for, for all of that? I sure do. I don't think any aspect of the ministry here has suffered uh, over these weeks uh, other than just the fact that we haven't been able to, to have the face-to-face -face time that we were used to having, so I'm glad we're back together. Uh, this morning, uh, folks, my plan had been to get back into our much-interrupted study of the book of Nehemiah. So that we're just getting some traction there. Uh, when the COVID-19 situation caused us to have to separate from one another and we sort of went in another direction with the messages. And so I wanted to get back into that this morning. But you know, sometimes the times demand that we do something else. Sometimes the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom and the counsel of other believers uh, combine together to cause a pastor to head in a different direction from what he had originally intended. And this morning is going to be one of those times. Once again, we find ourselves in a country where our founding documents explicitly state that all men are created equal that we have been endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and yet once again we find ourselves dealing this morning with an incident of racial injustice that has resulted in the death of an African-American man at the hands of a white police officer. We all know the story. 46-year-old George Floyd, arrested by Minneapolis police officers for reportedly trying to use a counterfeit $20 bill to buy a pack of cigarettes. We've seen where he was pinned to the ground, his neck under pressure from this police officer's knee for almost nine minutes. We've heard the audio of bystanders pleading uh, for Mr. Floyd's life. We heard him pleading for his life, saying he couldn't breathe. He was hurting. We know that nothing was done until he finally became limp and unresponsive 
finally loaded onto an ambulance, carried to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. Let me say something this morning. For many of you know this, but for those of you who may not know, um, I am a sworn law enforcement officer of this state. I, um, I know something of what law enforcement officers face every single day when they put their life on the line, when they go out on the street. I understand that. I know what it feels like to see angry looks directed towards you when you haven't done anything. And I also know that the vast, vast majority of law enforcement officers out there today are doing what they are doing because they want to make a positive difference in their community and in the world. That's why I do what I do. But I also have to tell you that what I have seen and heard of what happened to George Floyd is absolutely without defense. It cannot be explained away. And it is another in a long line of recent examples of the fact that we still have a long, long ways to go in the areas of racial equality in our country. And here's the thing. This, this, this is not just a law enforcement versus the black community issue. Far from it. Now, that's been the most highly publicized and politicized aspect of this. This is what has been in our face in recent days. But these are only symptoms, church, of a much more tragic disease that has plagued our country for more than 200 years. And let's be honest, the Church of Jesus Christ for more than 2,000 years. And right now, we, this morning, as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ in America today, in light of these most recent uh, examples of tragedy, we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we going to respond? What is our testimony going to be? How are we going to deal with the issues of racial inequality and injustice in our nation today. And I'm going to say something right now that, that I realize may be difficult to hear. And I want to assure you this morning, it is not my intent to offend anybody. And if I offend you, I want to apologize in advance for what I'm going to say, but I'm not going to apologize for what I'm going to say. And that is that the church in America today has been complicit in the widening racial gap in our country today. You ask me how? Here's how. We have been complicit many times by being very slow to speak about the manifestations of racial injustice and racial inequality in our nation. And folks, that has got to change. 
It has absolutely got to change because like it or not, our response to this controversy is in the spotlight today. It's in the spotlight right now. Let me tell you something. The politicians are talking about it. The professional athletes are talking about it. The media is talking about it. Those in the entertainment industry are talking about it. And the church of Jesus Christ can no longer afford to be strangely silent. We just can't be. Not anymore. Scripture does not ignore this. And so today and probably for the next couple of Sundays, I want to... I want to say something and share some things that I think all of us need to hear. Address something that we have failed to address for far too long. And let me say this too. We have African American members of this congregation. one of whom I talked to this week. Can I just tell you something? One of whom I talked to this week. With tears in her eyes who said, every time something like this happens, I never hear anything from my church. Can I apologize for that? So we're going to look at this whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, we're going to talk about it because we need to talk about it because God's Word talks about it. And so as long as God gives me something to say and as long as He says there's something we need to hear, we're, we're going to try to address this. But, but I want to do it biblically. I, I, I don't ever want to stand up here and try to address any topic or deal with any subject just because I feel a certain way about it, we, our guidance comes from God's Word, right? So we want to look at that, and I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, if you have it with you, and turn to James, the second chapter. Now, before we read this text from James chapter 2, let me, let me make several observations and comments about what we're about to read. Number one, James' focus in this text is on the practice of favoring one group of people above another, giving preferential treatment to one group of people above another. Now, as we read the text, you're going to see that James is specifically addressing a situation where favoritism and partiality and special treatment was given to the rich and the privileged, while the poor and the marginalized were looked down on and not given that, those same advantages. So we need to understand that. But we need to also understand that what James is saying here applies to all kinds of prejudice, whether it's somebody's economic status, their racial or ethnic background, their socioeconomic level, whatever it may be. Number two, and we're going to see this come out strongly throughout this text, James is saying that to give preferential treatment to somebody based solely on outward factors, whatever those outward factors may be, 
while at the same time prejudging and stereotyping others because of their ethnicity, skin color, economic status. James is going to help us understand that is a terrible, terrible sin. It is a sin that not only plagued the early church, it is a sin that has plagued the church in every generation because it is rooted in pride and self-centeredness, things that are just endemic to our fallen sinful nature. And so we need to be aware of that. Number three, I touched on this already, but this goes much deeper than just the law enforcement versus black community issue. In fact, it goes much further than just the black-white binary. This applies to how we treat and relate to and refer to those of Latino or Hispanic background, Asian background, even Anglos that I hear many times referred to as rednecks or white trash. And I'm going to, I'm going to insert a personal word here too. I have a son-in-law who's Latino. And I have a precious daughter who is Asian. And my heart has been broken to know some of the things that have been said to them, about them, and those who come from other ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Church, it is not right. It is unchristian. It is unbiblical. And we have got to address this. Number four, because this is such a serious, and, and, and many times it shouldn't be, but I think many times it's sort of an, an unconscious kind of sin, only a radical change of heart brought about by the working of the Holy Spirit is ever going to make a difference. That's the only thing that's ever going to change us. So I want us to look at this text this morning. We're going to put it up on the screen. And, and the version you're going to see there is, is coming from the Passion Translation. This is not something I would suggest to you to use as a serious Bible study tool. It's not always a very accurate translation. It's more of a paraphrase. Some would call it a dynamic equivalent translation. What, what the translator is trying to do in, in putting... Uh, these verses together in translating them for you is not so much to give you uh, an accurate literal translation from the original Greek, but he's trying to hit you with the same kind of impact that those first century Christians would have felt when they read it or heard it in their language. So I'm going to look at some other verses, uh, some other translations as we go through these verses. But for right now, let's just read this and you can follow along on the screen or your message guide there at home. Beginning with verse 1 of James chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say that we have faith in Him and yet we favor one group of people above another? Suppose an influential man comes into your worship meeting wearing gold rings and expensive clothing and also a homeless man in shabby clothes comes in. 
If you show special attention to the rich man in expensive clothes and say, well, here's a seat of honor for you right up front, but you turn and say to the poor beggar dressed in rags, well, you can stand over there or sit over there on the floor in the back, then you have demonstrated gross prejudice among yourselves and used evil standards of judgment. So listen carefully, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world's eyes to be those who are rich in faith? And won't they be the heirs of the kingdom realm he promised to those who love him? But yet you insult and and shun the poor in your efforts to impress the rich. Isn't it the wealthy who exploit you and drag you into court? Aren't they the very ones who blaspheme the beautiful name of the one you now belong to? Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love given to us in this scripture. You must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping the law is the, this law is the noble way to live. But when you show prejudice, you commit sin and you violate this royal law of love. For the one who attempts to keep all of the law of Moses but fails in just one point has become guilty of breaking the law in every respect. For the same one who tells us do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you're, you're still guilty as a lawbreaker. So we must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. And remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. Heavenly Father, we need you to help us deal with the issue that confronts us today as the people of God, as a culture, as a nation. For we know that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can provide the remedy for this ill, this disease that continues to plague us. So Father, give us spiritual eyes and ears to hear and to see And to embrace your truth this morning is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there's a big problem here in these verses that we have read together. It's revealed to us very clearly. Let's look at it quickly this morning. James chapter 1, verse 2. This is the New International Version. reads this way. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not Show favoritism. The English Standard Version reads this way. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, the problem in these verses is revealed to us in a single word that is translated Partiality or favoritism. Different translations translate it different ways. Partiality or favoritism. In the original language of the New Testament, this is a compound word. In other words, it is a single word made from two separate words that are brought together to create a brand new word. And in this case, the word translated favoritism or partiality comes first of all from a word that means to receive something. That's the first word. The second word 
is a word that is used to refer to the face. So when you put those things together, the idea you get is that of receiving someone, relating to someone, or responding to someone based upon the way that person looks. Uh, the idea is that you prejudge someone. You make value judgments about someone based upon their appearance, whether it's their dress, their age, uh, the color of their skin, their economic or social status, whatever it is, color of their hair, whether they're tattooed, all you just name it, you're making value judgments about people based upon, solely upon the way they look. That's why I like the Good News Translation of this verse. I've listed it for you there. The Good News Translation reads, My friends, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. Now, so, so this word favoritism or partiality can have quite a few synonyms. Let me give you some of them. Bias, bigotry, those words work, discrimination, racism, prejudice. I mean, this, this, this attitude can go by a lot of different names. Now, I think we all understand, every one of us understands that those kinds of prejudgments, those kinds of value systems and judgments are made all the time out there in the world. But James' concern and James' focus is not on the world out there. His concern is on the people of God in here. His concern is for the church. He is writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, you must not show favoritism. You must not prejudge others. You must not discriminate. You must not exhibit actions and attitudes of racism in any way. In fact, really a more accurate translation of James' words here, a more Literal translation of what he says would be this. Stop showing favoritism. Stop showing partiality. This is significant because, again, in the original sentence construction of the original language, James is clearly prohibiting an action and an attitude that is already in progress. There was discrimination and prejudice in the first century church. There is discrimination and prejudice in the 21st century church. And James says, stop it. Don't bring that mess in here. And don't demonstrate that mess if you're a believer out there, there is no place for those kinds of actions or attitudes within the body of Christ. Because you see, the church is supposed to be a brand new community of brand new people 
who have a brand new sense of values and who practice a whole new way of life. We don't measure things the way the world measures things. We, we don't see things the way the world sees things. We don't operate like the world operates. Do you know that? We're supposed to be different. And that means we live our lives according to biblical principle. Not personal preference or any other thing. So when it comes to our attitudes toward and our dealings with other people, it doesn't matter what our personal preference might be. The biblical principle is don't show favoritism. Don't make distinctions about people based upon their ethnic background, their social status, their economic level, their appearance, or anything else. That kind of favoritism, discrimination, stereotyping, and prejudice does not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, James goes so far as to say that if I demonstrate those actions or attitudes in my life, my very faith in Christ is called into question. So this is serious stuff. And, and we can no longer rely on other people, often non-believers, to be saying the things that the church of Jesus Christ should have been saying for a long, long time. So on your message guide, you're going to see there six things, six reasons, and these are strong, compelling reasons, why we need once and for all, finally, fully, and forever, to put aside any feelings of prejudice, racism, discrimination from our lives, and we're going to look at each of these separately. I was going to try to look at the first one this morning, but we're trying to be conscious of time, and we're just going to not going to look at that first one this morning. Uh, instead, we'll, we'll begin looking, th looking at them one by one next week. But let me run through them quickly without comment. Let me just fill in the blanks for you so you can think about these things over the course of this next week. Read through this text and see how God speaks to you. Let me run through them quickly. Number one, attitudes of prejudice and racism are absolutely incompatible with a genuine belief in Jesus Christ. They're incompatible. I can't say I love Jesus. I just can't. And exhibit actions and attitudes of prejudice, discrimination, racism toward other people. Number two, attitudes of prejudice and racism indicate the presence of evil thoughts in my heart and in my mind. You know, we just can't say, well, this is just the way I was brought up. This is just the environment I was raised in. No. You know what James says? James says if you exhibit attitudes of racism and prejudice... There is evil in your life. Satan is operating in your life. And we need to understand that. Quit making excuses. Number three, attitudes of prejudice and racism ignore the reality of the divine economy. Ignores the attitude of the, of the divine economy. And I, I'm going to be very careful when I talk about this, but you can't read very far in Scripture, but what you don't see very, very quickly, that God, both in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New Testament, seemed to have an affinity for doing something very special among the poor, the marginalized, the outcast of society, those who are pushed to the edges. Doesn't mean He loves them any more than He loves anybody else. 
But God is doing something and has done something throughout history among the marginalized, the oppressed of our society. And we're just ignoring something if we write that segment of our society off. We're ignoring something significant. Number four, and this is important, attitudes of prejudice and racism insult other people who are made in the very image of God. Therefore, they insult God. Scripture says God made man in His image. Not white man, not black man, yellow man, red man, brown man, but man. Mankind, every person made in the image of God. I cannot say it any plainer than the old children's hymn said, red and yellow, black and white, they are all what? Precious. Precious in his sight. Number five, attitudes of prejudice and racism cancel out obedience that I may demonstrate in other areas of my life. May not have ever thought about that before, but James is pretty clear. You exhibit these attitudes, all the other good stuff you may do, eh, not real sure what kind of value they have if you continue to exhibit attitudes of racism and prejudice toward others. And then finally, number six, attitudes of prejudice and racism invite. I mean, we're inviting. God, just bring judgment on my life. Just pour out your judgment on me. So again, this is, this is some serious stuff we're going to be looking at, and, and we will over the next few weeks. But for right now, let me just say this. I really believe, church, that this sin of uh, systemic racism, prejudice, Maybe, maybe one of the greatest sins in the church of Jesus Christ today. And it's dangerous because it's insidious and we, we, we don't recognize it and it kind of flies under the radar sometimes. But if we continue to allow unbiblical and unchristian distinctions of race and economic and social classification or any other man-made distinction keep us from embracing all people, this church will never be the church Christ intends it to be. We'll never have the impact in our community or in our nation or among the nations that God intends for us to have. So what I want to do this morning in closing is just have you look with me at just some serious questions I want us to ask ourselves this morning, just, just as a point of departure to think about over the course of this coming week. We'll come back and deal with each one of these six things one by one starting next week, but Here's some serious questions I want you to ask yourself, even as I ask myself this morning, all right? Let's just read them quickly. They're there in your message guide. Number one, do I have an aversion to being around people who are different from me? Okay, this is where the stereotyping, the prejudice, the uncomfortableness, do I have an aversion to that? Number two, do I secretly, and the key word here is secretly or maybe unconsciously, consider myself to be better than certain other people? I'm just always looking down on other people, and boy, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm better than that person. I, I would never you know, be like that person. Number three, do I stereotype whole groups of people or assume that someone must have certain qualities or characteristics because of how they look or where they come from? Number four, do I use racial or ethnic slurs or do I refer to people of other races or ethnicities by using names or designations that are demeaning, humiliating? 
Number five, do I tell jokes that depend upon a racial or ethnic punchline to get a laugh? Or do I listen to other people tell those kinds of jokes and just don't say anything? Six, and most important, I think, in many ways, what am I doing? Okay, I mean, we can talk about how bad this is. But what am I doing personally to build bridges with, form relationships with people of ethnic, social, economic backgrounds that are different from my own? What am I doing? Am I doing anything or am I just talking about how bad things are? Listen, we have the only answer to the problem of systemic racism, racial injustice, and inequality, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have that message. Close with this personal story. Last week, before any of this happened, I was working with the Traveler's Rest Police Department and got a call out to one of the neighborhoods there in Traveler's Rest. It's a, it's a tough neighborhood. Multi-housing, government-subsidized housing, a lot of minority kids living there. And during this COVID-19 journey that we've all been walking through, I mean, these kids don't have anything to do. Most of them have one parent. Some of them are living with grandparents. And so we were getting calls out there that these kids were being loud, playing loud music, lighting fires and other things. So we had to go out there and disperse that, not once, but several times. And I got the angry glares, and I got the things said to me, and we would disperse them, and we would go on to another call. And I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit just got a hold of my heart and broke it. And so I rode back out there, and I found a group of these kids, about 12 of them, sitting on the front porch steps of a of one of the apartments there, and I got out of my car and I walked up to him and I could see him tensing up. And I just said, hey guys, tough times, aren't they? I know y'all don't have anything to do. Let me ask you a question. Would you stay right here if I ran and got a bunch of pizzas and brought them back to you? You could see Everything in their faces changed. You could see them relax. You could see and sense and feel the whole demeanor of that encounter change. And I think they thought I was lying because by the time I went and got the pieces, I had to respond to a couple other calls, but I did finally get back there. And I said, hey guys, I told you I was coming. And there wasn't any big thing that happened, but I just got a chance to stand out there and just talk to them a little bit, hear what they'd been going through, understand a little bit of the challenges that were facing them, and let them know I cared. Folks, it's not hard. But we've got to put forth some effort. And I want to encourage you to be a bridge builder. I want to encourage you to be someone who is proactive on the leading edge of, listen, you've got the gospel. You've got Jesus Christ. You can make a difference. And He'll use you to make a difference. And He'll use us 
to make a difference. As tragic as everything is that is swirling all around us right now, God may be giving us an unprecedented opportunity to demonstrate what we all know. And that is that Jesus Christ really does and really can make a difference. And He's the only one who can. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for being a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. I pray for our nation and all that is taking place right now, all that we see happening around us. God, I just pray we would be those agents of reconciliation, healing, transformation, and that we would become the salt and the light that you have called us to be in this culture, in the incredible darkness, in the incredible spiritual decay and corruption that's all around us. May you thrust us out from this place to be that missional people to stand for justice, to stand for equality, to demonstrate love, to be your hands and your feet and your voice. Would you use us that way, Father? We pray, we beg that we would be silent no longer, we would be seated no longer, but we would be on the very leading edge of societal change because we're the only ones who have the answer to this problem and any other problem. We have Jesus. Thank you for that. It's the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to join me in standing. Um, we realize the restrictions on COVID and all of that, but if, if you need to respond this morning, you need to come to this altar, pray for our nation, pray for your neighbors pray for how God might use you, then, you know, there's plenty of room up here to spread out. If you need to talk to somebody, our ministry staff will be available. I'm available to do that if we need to talk to you this morning. Just let us know. We'll be glad to take you to another location and spend some time with you this morning. But we're going to sing and we're going to pray together and we're going to let God continue to work. So if He's spoken to your heart this morning, you need to respond in any way as we sing. You come right now.